Recently, I was listening to a, a leadership podcast, and the guy was interviewing a man named Chris Voss. And I don't know if you've heard of Chris Voss or if that name means anything to you, but Chris Voss was the lead negotiator for the FBI for many years. Anytime there was a hostage anywhere in the world, Chris Voss was the guy who was involved in trying to negotiate the safe return of the hostages. And the interview was so interesting that I decided to order, I went on Amazon and I ordered the book that he wrote. And he wrote a book called Never Split the Difference, subtitled Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It. There's lots of good reasons to read a book about negotiating. Uh, he makes the point that really many of our conversations in life are negotiations. We're often trying to, someone's trying to get their way and we're trying to get our way. But if I'm honest with you, the main reason I read this book on negotiating is because in about eight years, I'm going to have three teenage daughters <laughs> in my house. And I'm going to have to learn how to negotiate, right? How to get my way every now and then. And I was reading this book. One of the things that I realized is that one of the things that's really important, one of the things that he stresses in this book is negotiations can be won and lost at the very beginning. It's how do we approach the person. And he makes this point that if you use the wrong verbiage, the wrong words at the beginning, it can set the negotiation process in the wrong direction. If you have the wrong tone, if you're too panicked, if you're too anxious, if you're too aggressive, he talks about having like a late night radio host tone whenever you're trying to negotiate. So wrong words, wrong tone, wrong attitude. How do we approach these conversations? And as the Apostle Paul is wrapping up his letter to the church in Colossae, he gives them some important instructions and advice on two things. How should we approach God? And how should we approach others? How should we approach God in prayer? And how should we approach other people? And the advice that he gives to the church in the book of Colossians actually is still very relevant for our lives today. So let's look at the scripture text this morning. I'm going to read it to you from Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. If you have a bulletin, the scripture verse is on your bulletin. It'll also be on the screen behind you. Colossians chapter 4, I'm reading to you from the ESV translation. Paul writes these words. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. So Paul's in prison in Rome because he's been preaching the gospel about Jesus and he's writing this letter. Verse four, pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, towards others, making the best use of the time and let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Okay, so this morning, here's what we're going to do together in the next 20 minutes or so. We're going to learn three things about how we should approach God, and we're going to learn three things about how we should approach others. All right, let's start. First, how do we approach God? Number one, and if you're taking notes, you can write this word down. We should approach God continually, continually. Paul said, continue steadfastly in prayer. In the Greek, here's what that means. To continue to do something with intense effort, even if it's difficult, even if it's hard, we continue in prayer. We are, as Christians, to approach God continually, constantly in prayer. In fact, in another place in the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, or 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. But if we're honest, for many people, prayer is just an occasional practice. 
which is prompted by a need or a crisis, right? We tend to pray more when we're going through something difficult or when there's a crisis in our family or in our lives. But when we only pray during crisis and we don't have the habit of continual prayer, you know what we're doing? We're not treating God as a person that we have a relationship with. We're treating him basically like a 911 call center. God, I'll, I'll reach out to you when I need you, when I need a job, when my family member is sick, when my marriage is on the rocks, then I will pray. But, but the rest of the time, I'm okay on my own. And Paul's trying to confront that mindset by saying it's a continually positioning yourself to pray. See, prayer is not just crisis intervention. It is that, of course. We should pray during crisis and hard times. But prayer is not crisis intervention. Prayer is continual interaction. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. We approach God continually. Well, what does that look like? Uh, the Quaker, Thomas Kelly, wrote a book called Testament of Devotion. I want you to hear what he says. I think, you'll, I think this will make sense to you. He says, There is a way of ordering or arranging our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, sort of going about our days, doing our job, meeting all the demands that are out there. But then on another level, deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we can at the very same time be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and have a gentle receptiveness in our hearts to the divine breathings of God, what God is saying and doing. And what he's saying is that as Christians, as followers of Christ, you should be positioning your heart to be praying all day long. Prayer underneath all your activities, all your busyness, all your going to work, all the things that you have to do. Prayer underneath everything else. Not just prayer in the big moments, but listen, prayer in the boring moments. Not just the big moments, but prayer even in the boring moments. And earlier this week on Twitter, I saw this tweet from a pastor in New York City named Rich Viodas, and he said this. He said, if you want to grow in prayer, you need to accustom yourself to the boredom of it. The reality that prayer is often an uneventful experience. It doesn't always feel like something. It, doesn't, it isn't always prompted by something huge. It's just part of the rhythm of our lives. And he goes on to say, the more we can stay connected to God in boredom, the more we open ourselves up to the surprising and mysterious ways that his grace is at work in our lives and in the world around us. You've probably never heard a pastor say this before, but what I'm saying to you is maybe your prayer life isn't boring enough. Maybe it's not boring enough. Maybe you only pray when things get exciting. Maybe you, maybe you only pray in hyped up, high energy environments like a Sunday morning service. But what about the boring moments of our lives? Paul is saying, continually pray. Now at this point, you may be thinking, well, this is hard to do. Like, I got a pretty important job. I need 100% of my focus on what I'm doing. I'm a very busy person. This is hard to do. And what I want to suggest to you is this. You're actually already doing it. You're already having an internal conversation about what's happening around you. You're already turning to something or to someone with the stuff of your day. It just isn't taking the form of a prayer. So ask yourself this. What bothers you the most during your day? What do you find yourselves the most, the most anxious and concerned about? Or what do you complain about most? during your day. Complaints and concerns and anxiety, often those are just wrongly directed prayers. 
We're rehearsing those things internally. We're talking about them. We're building narratives around them. But instead of bringing them to God and trusting God with them, we're trying to hold on to them inside of ourselves and make sense of them in our own way. So complaints are often just wrongly directed or half-formed prayers. Can I, can I give you some examples of what it might look like to, to continually pray during your day? Let me give you some examples. Nobody nodded, but I'm going to give examples anyway. <laughs> When you, when you succeed, when you have a huge win at work, when you have a great day, here's something that you could be praying underneath all of that. God, I want to thank you for this. I want to give you thanks for this. And, and also, God, don't let this success become my identity. Don't let it become my source of value because as easy as I got it, I can lose it. And protect my heart, God, even from success. Don't let success become what I'm, who I am and how I know that I'm worth the space I take up. How about on the flip side of that coin, when you fail? when you mess up at work, when you have a bad day. God, help me to learn through this. Help me to grow. Steady my heart in my failure. And don't allow this failure to overshadow who you say I am and how you see me. How about when we look at the news and we listen to the news yesterday and we hear about this tragic, this terrible, hate-filled crime in Pittsburgh? What do we, what do, we do with that? God, comfort those who are grieving. Comfort those who have lost. Protect places of worship. Protect schools, protect our communities, and expose the hate in the hearts of people who do these things. And by the way, God, expose the hate in my heart, too, because it's not all out there. It's, it's in here, too. And the one prayer we can pray in every situation and be safe with is the prayer that Jesus told his disciples to pray. God, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What about in those moments of your day when you feel anxious about something? God, I trust in you. Underneath the surface, praying, God, I trust in you. I cast all my cares upon you, and I name what my cares are, and I cast this upon you, knowing that you care for me. How about when you're frustrated? God, give me patience and strength. And here's a great thing to pray for when you're feeling frustrated. God, give me the gift of perspective. This past week, I took my girls out to, uh, we went out to this youth clothing store out on Bridge Street called Once Upon a Child, where we love to get uh, clothes for our girls. And right near Once Upon a Child, by the sovereignty of God, is a Pavone's Pizza. And Pavone's Pizza, if you haven't had Pavone's Pizza, it's just about my favorite in Syracuse. Uh, I'm not saying it is my favorite, because some of you may work at a pizza place. Yours is my other favorite. But, but <laughs> Pavone's is great pizza. And so, but they take a little while, because they make it right when you get there. So I, I told Aaron, we got in the car. We live about 20 minutes away from Bridge Street. I said, Aaron, call Pavone's and just say, we're coming. Can you get our pizza ready? They'll do that. And so she calls ahead. We order the large cheese pizza or pepperoni, whatever it was. And we get there and I go up and I said, I'm David. We called ahead and I'm, I just, can I just go ahead and pay now while you guys are getting the, and I realized he's, he, he looks behind him. He realized he never gave the ticket to the kitchen, but he doesn't. I hear him say it to somebody else, but he doesn't say it to me. He doesn't apologize. He doesn't say sorry. So we sit there and we wait 20 minutes for our pizza. And if I'm honest, I was, I was getting kind of frustrated. I was like, this is, why, this is the exact reason we called ahead. So we wouldn't have to sit here. Because sitting with three girls under the age of 10 for 20 minutes anywhere, nightmare. So I, I was like, this is why we... So I'm starting to get angry. And I noticed my girls are picking up on my frustration. And they're starting to say little things too. And all of a sudden, like, God's Holy Spirit in that moment gave me the gift of perspective. And I said, you know what, girls? It's not... I mean, think about what we're complaining about. We're complaining about the fact that our delicious, fresh-cooked pizza is going to be a little bit longer. We're complaining about we have the money to go and order and buy pizza. These people are making pizza for us. I mean, we're complaining about blessings. That's really what we're complaining about. 
So in moments where you find yourself frustrated, underneath that, in your continual prayer cycle, say, God, I'm a little frustrated right now. Give me some perspective. Give me some perspective. How about when, you're, when you sit down to eat? We pray. We give thanks. When you're shopping, when you're out shopping, praying underneath the surface, God, thank you that I can do this, but also help my heart not to be captured by the things on these shelves. And help me to steward well the resources that you've given me. Help me not to think that I'm somehow more valuable because I can own that brand jacket or because I can put that brand of food on my table. When you are tempted, God, help me to see Jesus to be more beautiful than that thing that's pulling my heart away from you. How about when you first meet somebody, God, help me to see this person the way that you see them. Help me to love this person the way that you love them. How about, how about when you're watching the Red Sox be one win away from the World Series. This is what I pray. God, I know you still do miracles for your people. And I know that you can raise up those Dodgers to defeat those Red Sox. Continual, continual prayer in all moments of our day. Paul, in the previous chapter in Colossians 3, he said it this way. He said, whatever you do, 317, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So please, if you're a Christian in this place this morning, don't treat prayer as crisis intervention. Treat it as continual interaction. Okay. So continually. Second thing that we see here is Paul says to pray watchfully. And watchful means to be ready with acute sensitivity and awareness. And you know, this time of the year, as you drive on the roads in upstate New York, you got to be increasingly watchful, don't you? For two reasons, the weather and what else? The deer. Right? It's bow season, but when shotgun rifle season kicks in, you really got to be watchful. You really got to pay attention. And this is what Paul is saying. Is Paul is saying, don't mindlessly pray, but pay attention. Pay attention to the needs in the world around you. Pay attention to those who are hurting. Pay attention to injustices. Pay attention to those things. And as you notice those things, let them shape the way that you pray. And also, pay attention to what God is doing in every moment, in every situation. You know, prayer is not an exercise in convince, convincing God to join us in, what, in our plans. Prayer is an exercise in joining God in his plans, in his purposes. Being devoted to prayer means an awareness of what's happening around us that can launch us at any moment into prayer. Let me say this. If you're only praying for yourself, if you're only praying selfish prayers, then you don't need to be watchful, do you? That's why when Paul says be watchful, what he's saying is don't just pray prayers for yourself. Don't just pray selfish prayers. It's okay to pray for yourself, but don't just pray for yourself. Pay attention. Be watchful. Pray for others. In fact, Paul's in prison, and he says, did you notice this? He says, pray that God will give us an open door. Now, I would have thought Paul would have been praying for open doors so he could escape, but that's not what he's praying for. He's saying pray for open doors that I can share the gospel with, my, with the people in my prison with my captors, right? So he's watchful, he's paying attention. Third thing, so it's, we pray continually, we pray watchfully, and then thirdly, in this text we see, we should pray gratefully, gratefully. What should we be thankful for when we pray? We should be thankful that we can even approach God. The only way that you and I, the only reason you and I can even approach God in prayer is because we are approaching him in Jesus' name. We're trusting in Jesus, and it's because Jesus has provided a way for us in that we can pray. So we're thankful that we can approach Here's another thing you can be thankful for whenever you pray. God, thank you that you hear me. Thank you that you're not deaf to me. Thank you that you don't turn away from me. But every time I call out to you, you hear me. Thankful that God already knows. The Bible says that God already knows what you need before you can even ask. 
Thankful that he knows, he already knows, and thankful that he always cares. And here's one more thing to be grateful for when we pray. Thankful that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit is praying through you. He prays through you sometimes when you have no words. He prays through you sometimes with your words. And he prays through you sometimes with his words. But whatever it is, he prays through you. And God the Son, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, according to the Bible, he's praying for you. What, thing, what amazing things to be thankful for, that you don't, you're not on your own when you pray. In fact, you know what prayer is? Prayer is entering into the ongoing activity of the Godhead, bringing your prayers to God the Father in the name of God the Son by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. So how do we approach God? Continually, watchfully, and thankfully. And now, the second half, how do we approach others? Paul uses a word in here. He talks about outsiders. Did you notice that? He said, pray for us. There's wisdom is how we approach and talk to outsiders. What does Paul mean by outsiders? Paul simply means is people who are outside of the church, people who are outside of the faith. So people who are in your, your family, people who are your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, but they don't share your worldview. They don't share your belief in Jesus Christ. And Paul's giving us instructions on how do we approach people who believe things differently than we do. And what he says here is really important because I think a lot of Christians and a lot of the church world gets this wrong. We, we approach people, but we approach them in a way that is not in keeping with Paul's teaching here. So number one, Paul says, if, as you approach others, number one, approach trusting God's plan. Trusting God's plan. Paul said, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word. You know, Paul's teaching us here something. Only God opens the door. We might feel like we can open the door into people's lives. We might think that if we get the right combination of words in the exact right moment, that somehow we can convince somebody to see things the way we see them. But Paul's teaching us, and all the scriptures teach us, that God is sovereign in the work of salvation, and that God is the actor on the behalf of people. And so God opens the door for people to receive. And only God opens the door, so we trust in God's plan for that person's life. This is what it means for you and me. When you go to talk to somebody or engage with somebody who believes differently than you, you have your own plans for them. You have your own agenda, your own timeline, your own hopes, your own fears. But you know what you, do? You, what you have to do? You have to forget them. Forget your plan. Forget your agenda. Forget your timeline. timeline. Forget your hopes. Forget your fears. And trust God's plan for that person's life. And you know what that does for you, actually? It frees you to love that individual regardless of the outcome of that conversation. Because if you're not trusting God's plan, if you're only trusting in your own plan and your own desires, then there's not the freedom to love people even if they believe things differently than you. Or love people even if they say, I'll never believe what you believe. But as we trust in God's plan, it frees us to love those people. So we approach others, number one, trusting God's plan. Number two, we approach people declaring the mystery. And when Paul says declaring the mystery, he's talking about the gospel. The gospel is the mystery. And he uses the word mystery because the gospel was hidden, it was veiled, but now it's been revealed to people in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So Paul says, if you're going to approach outsiders, don't come to them with your opinions. Don't come to them with your politics. Don't come to them with your preferences. Don't come to them with your moral standards, the way that you think they should live their lives, how they should be more like you and less like themselves. And here's the things you got to stop doing. And here's the things you got to start doing. And if you could only do this and not and be like me, don't come declaring those things. Come declaring 
the mystery, the gospel, the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ lived the life that they should have lived. He lived perfectly righteous in their place so they could be approved and accepted by the Father. Then he went to the cross where he died on the cross for the sins and the shame and the sickness of all people so that you and I wouldn't have to bear regret and guilt and shame and the things from our past that we wish we could forget and the things from our past that we think we can't be forgiven of and we can't be freed from. Jesus Christ took all of those things. He took all of that sin, all of that sickness, all of that guilt, all of that shame upon himself on the cross and he absorbed the punishment for those things in your place. Now listen, you may not agree with that or you may not be sure if that's true this morning, but I think you would agree with me. If it is true, that's good news. If that's true, that's pretty good news. That, that, that we would have a way to be accepted by God based on the unchanging, unmerited, undeserved work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And it's only bad news if you are determined to do it your way. But if you're willing to accept and receive what Christ has done for you, it's wonderful news. And he says, as we go to people, go declaring the mystery, speaking the gospel. And there's one other thing he says here, and I love it. He says, speak it clearly. The gospel may be a mystery, but it doesn't have to be confusing. We don't have to muddy it up. We don't have to muddle it up. We don't have to make it all this complicated. We don't have to use all these big words. We simply can, here's what you do. If you want to share the gospel clearly, three things you need to know. You should know their story. That's where it starts. We earn a right to speak by listening. So know that person's story. Know your story. What has Jesus done for you? And then know the story. What is the gospel? And we can come declaring the mystery. Last thing this morning, we're going to close. We approach others trusting God's plan, declaring the mystery. And then number three, we approach others walking in wisdom. Can we read these verses again? Verses five and six. I don't know if we can get it up on the screen. Verses five and six, Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. My previous job, I traveled a lot, and a lot of times I would have to get up early in the morning while my girls were still sleeping and my wife was still sleeping and get ready in the dark. More than once, it resulted in me wearing different colored socks, but that's neither here nor there. But one, one, one morning I was getting ready and I had ordered this bottle of cologne on Amazon. And on Amazon, you, it's pretty good, but every now and then you get something and you're like, this, I don't know if this is real. And, uh, and I, I have that experience with cologne every now and then. But this particular cologne bottle, you know how colognes are supposed to do like a nice gentle mist? This thing was like a laser. Like it was just like an angry bottle. It was just like, zzz, like a straight little laser of uh, cologne. And so I was getting ready in, in the dark in the bedroom, and I, I went to spray the cologne bottle on my forearm, on my wrist, but what I didn't know had happened was that the, the little tip of the cologne bottle had twisted. And the, the, the bottle tip, the, the, uh, the whatever it's called, was pointed right at my eye. And so I squeezed it, and that laser cologne, I mean, straight into my eye. And my eye immediately felt like it was on fire. And of course, your eye, its defensive reaction is just, it locks up. It shuts down. And so I run into the bathroom. Now, everybody's sleeping. So I'm trying to not scream. I'm trying to be quiet. So I run into the bathroom, and I know enough to, like, turn the sink on and start trying to, like, wash my eye out. And I'm doing that. And with my left hand, I have my phone, and I'm Googling. What do you do? Spray cologne in your own eye. Like... 
And I was somewhat comforted by the fact that as I started to type it in, Google actually finished it for me. So that means lots of other people have done the same thing. And so uh, I, I was quickly like reading out of my good eye, I realized I'm going to be fine. I'm not going to lose my eye. And it's amazing though, right? Because the knowledge at our fingertips, it's incredible. When I was in high school, if I wanted to write a paper, I had to actually open books. I had to go and get encyclopedias and, and dictionaries and go check books out of the library and write on note cards and all these ridiculous things that seem archaic now. And now you have, more, you have access to more information in your pocket than the entire world did about 30, 40 years ago. There's no lack of knowledge, but you know what we still can't find on the internet? Wisdom. Wisdom. Knowledge is information, but wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge in every and any given situation. And Paul says, as you approach others, you need to walk in wisdom. Now, there's a major implication here, and don't miss it. You know, you don't need wisdom if your approach to everybody is the exact same. If you have a formulaic, identical approach to everybody who doesn't believe what you believe, and you're just like, I'm gonna say what I gotta say no matter who they are, where they've come from, you don't need wisdom. You just need a script. You just need to memorize a script. So when Paul says walk in wisdom, and he, says, he talks in there about how to know, you should know how to answer each different person, Paul is implying something very important. You, should, you shouldn't have the same answer for everybody. You shouldn't take the same path to everybody. You shouldn't use the same words. That actually depersonalizes the person, and it removes them from being someone to love to someone to convince or an argument to win or a point to prove. When Paul says you should do it in a way that your speech is always gracious, What he's saying here is this. Who you are is more important than what you say often. As you approach, as you talk to people, who you are is more important than even what you say. So here's what it means. You can win arguments and lose people, right? You can make your point, but push the other person away. And Paul's saying, that's not how you approach others. If the love of Christ is in your heart, you approach people and your words are marked with graciousness, and they're seasoned with salt. And that metaphor of salt simply means this, you're interesting. Christians should be interesting. Not interesting in a weird kooky sort of way, like that's interesting, but like interesting in like, I would like to talk to that person some more. They're of interest to me. How do we become interesting? Well, we should learn how to ask good questions. Such a skill set that really is kind of lost in a lot of ways. Asking good questions, having good conversation, just being genuinely, genuinely interested in the other person because of the humility of God in our lives. Walk in wisdom. So to summarize this morning, how do we approach God in prayer? Continually, watchfully, and thankfully. And how do we approach others? Trusting the plan, declaring the wisdom, and, or declaring the mystery, and walking in wisdom. Let's pray together this morning.